0: All right, my friends, thanks for tuning into the podcast, where, as always, we'll discuss the professional literature and the evidence-based protocol as they relate to the effective treatment of clinically significant anxiety symptoms. I'm Chris Lines, licensed psychotherapist and OCD spectrum disorders treatment specialist. And this, well, this is OCD Straight Talk. I often talk about psychotherapy, particularly evidence-based psychotherapy relative to the effective treatment of OCD as being more a process of learning than anything else. I talk about my role as one of teaching and coaching, and I talk about the role of the patient as one of, of learning uh, and, and polishing and even mastering a set of skills. And the idea of it is that when we're in psychotherapy for OCD, provided, I'll say parenthetically, provided that we're working with an OCD treatment specialist and he or she actually knows what, what, what he's doing relative to this treatment process, the idea becomes that we're, we're beginning to interact differently with our OCD. We're, we're changing the nature of the relationship that we have with these symptoms. And when you think about it from that point of view, you might say, well, yeah, sure. That's a learning process. And both of those words within that phrase are important. It's a learning process. It's a process in the sense that it's going to take you time. You don't master anything that's difficult and anything that's different from your routine and norm without giving yourself some amount of time to do that. And the more pressure there might be and and the more complexity there might be, the more time you might need in that process, right? But it's also a learning uh, process in the sense that you're really changing the nature of your habits and you're changing the nature of what you think about the thoughts that you have and the anxiety that you feel in relationship to certain situations. This is pretty complicated particularly when you're thinking about the idea that, well, I'm having these unwanted thoughts and and they're really distressing and the anxiety that I'm feeling is growing and it's intense and the compulsions that I'm engaging for the purpose of working to manage uh, all this stuff is is ingrained and habitual. And I've been doing it a long time. And the idea that I'm just going to like all of a sudden shift and pivot and change my relationship and it's going to happen in a moment's time is a load of bullshit, right? You just got to, you got to be patient with yourself through this. Uh, you have to be able to be hardworking and determined. You have to be able to have grit and, and tenacity, like I say, but you have to be able to say, listen, this is a process and I'm not going to master it in a day. I'll often say to patients, you didn't get here overnight and you're not gonna get out overnight, right? It's gonna take you time, so give yourself time to really begin to learn and to implement, to polish and to master these skills. Like I say, psychotherapy is about learning, right? And one of the things that I find patients often need to learn within this therapeutic process is the art of thinking about compulsions from a completely uh, different point of view. In fact, I'll often avoid using the word compulsion early on in treatment because people tend to think within a pretty limited scope about what a compulsion is, right? I mean, I think that this argument isn't hard to make. That people sort of on the outside of OCD looking in Think about compulsions like lock-checking or hand-washing or something like this, right? Uh, Or they might make some kind of uh, insensitive offhand comment that I'm OCD about this or I'm OCD about that, really meaning that they're kind of perfectionistic in one way or another. Uh, And so the idea of compulsions really becomes quite limited in the sense that they only think that compulsions are this very uh, finite grouping of behaviors over here, and maybe another finite grouping of behaviors over there, and and but really that's the extent of compulsion, and and oftentimes OCDers tend to walk into the therapeutic process with a, a limited idea or a preconceived notion of what a compulsion is. And so when I talk about compulsions, the picture that they might paint in their mind is actually quite uh, restrictive, uh, uh, comparative to what I'm meaning to communicate when I use the word. And so I just end up avoiding the word, again, early on, because their thinking tends to be so limited. I might use a word more like behavior. And I might say it like, what behaviors do you notice yourself doing in relationship to your anxiety? Like what do you do to try and prevent yourself from feeling anxious? Uh, or, Or what might you do to try and manage your anxiety once you start to feel it? And correspondingly, what do you do to try and prevent yourself from having these unwanted thoughts that you're talking about, right? And or what might you do to try and quiet them down or even get rid of them once they happen? right? And, and this kind of question seems to be much more open-ended, at least in the way that people think about compulsions. And they suddenly become a bit more aware that, well, compulsions can actually be a lot of different behaviors, right? And then we, when we begin to sort of hang a definitional parameter on the word and we give the uh, the definition provided by american psychiatric association then we see that well holy shit man that that definition is is wide open it's really really expansive and nearly any behavior at all can fit the definition again provided that the behavior in question is being engaged for the purpose of managing, or you might say preventing, anxiety or managing, or you might say preventing, uh, the, the experience of an unwanted thought. And provided that that behavior is not meaningfully connected to the mitigation, that is to say that the management of actual danger. So when we're starting to think about it from this point of view, it's like, okay, now we're really thinking like the OCD is thinking. And getting rid of these unhelpful, Preconceived, limited ideas is only to our advantage. So I'm talking with a patient the other day, and and he's pretty early on in his process, and and we're going through some ideas, and and we're talking about uh, the evidence-based treatment protocol, and and what we're going to work to do, and what treatment's going to look like, and and needless to say, one of the central components of talking about therapeutic progress not just the process, but but the process whereby we're going to achieve some kind of meaningful and measurable symptom reduction, that is to say progress, we're focusing on ritual prevention. And an important piece of talking about stopping compulsions is talking about identifying them. Because, of course, as you know, you can't just work to to stop every behavior everywhere all day and thereby like hope that you're catching most of the fish in the sea and, and, I'm, and I'm kind of stopping all these compulsions because, well, I just don't do shit anymore. Well, the reality of the situation is that doing nothing can still meet the definitional parameter of a compulsion, right? So as we're talking through things, he says, well, you're talking about compulsions as, as something that's different from the way I think about them. Right. We'll, well, you know, say more. What do you mean? And, and, he, and he starts to share that, well, I've always thought about a compulsion as a behavior that I do, not so much a behavior that I don't do. Right. Compulsions are things that I, I, I do to try and manage my anxiety or to get, to get rid of my thoughts or, or whatever. But, but not doing something isn't itself a compulsion, right? And so, well, that's a great question. And the answer to that is not doing something can still be a compulsion, right? And, and, and the reason for that is, is choosing to not do something is still itself a behavioral choice. You might say it's still itself a behavior, even though you're not doing something like I'm not leaving the house or I'm not taking a shower or I'm not getting out of bed, whatever it might be. It doesn't mean that not getting out of bed isn't a compulsion just because it includes the word not. I did, I did not get out of bed. And so, I you know, it can't be a compulsion. That bullshit, it can't be a compulsion. And of course, it can be a compulsion. Again, it's a behavioral choice. So I often find with patients that there's this, there's this process of learning. And, and many, many patients go through this. And when I say many, by the way, just in case you might think, well, I'm exempt. I know all of my compulsions, right? When I say many, I mean very, very few patients. I'm not going to say zero, but very, very few patients through hundreds and hundreds of patients over years of time have gone through the therapeutic journey and not identified several new compulsions And part of the reason for this is is oftentimes individuals might assume that compulsions are always sort of motor behaviors or some kind of thing like, you know, some kind of motor action that is visible at least to them, right? But the truth of the matter is compulsions also can sometimes be mental, not just motor, but mental, right? Right. And many of you already know this. This can this can come in the form of of self reassurance. I didn't tell. Oh, that's not going to happen. I'm okay. Or or I, I I think it's fine because the doctor said so. I think it's fine because you know doctor internet said so or whatever. Right? Sort of self reassuring, reminding myself that well that didn't happen and whatever whatever whatever. So self reassuring or ruminating, in which case I'm which as you might say is a form of of re- self reassurance and. and in which case, I'm kind of going over sequences of events in my memory, and I'm sort of reminding myself that, well, this didn't happen, and, and well, I touched this, and then I walked over there and touched that, and, and then I walked by that person, but I think I was a few feet away, and, and uh, sort of going back through the memory to, to check. But, but off, my point of, in saying this to you is so often patients go through this process of having to learn to think about compulsions from a different point of view. Right? And, and it doesn't matter, I'll say this to you, it doesn't matter how many times I say that to a patient, and over the course of now 120 episodes on OCD Straight Talk, and I talk about identifying and stopping compulsions, I would imagine many times in every episode, there are still listeners, and this isn't a shot at you, it, it's truly, it's not, it is a testament to how insidious compulsions are. That, that There are individuals who are long-time listeners and there are patients who've worked with me directly and so on and so forth who still don't quite identify a behavior as a compulsion, even though it perfectly fits the definitional parameter when they're looking at it from that kind of point of view, when they sort of put on their their rubber gloves, and they, and they get their scalpel out, and they're beginning to dissect the OCD and the different behaviors being engaged when they're feeling anxious or when they're having intrusive thoughts. And then they begin to really carefully observe and scrutinize, okay, what is it that I'm doing or not doing? Because I'm anxious. What is it that I'm doing or not doing to try and get rid of or to quiet or quell these intrusive thoughts? And it's at that point that they begin to see, oh, yeah, that is a compulsion for me. And so it's for this reason that I might say to you, look, if you're continuing to experience symptomatology, over the course of months or years of time? Well, the first thing that I would say to you is, well, let's see a therapist. Let's see somebody who really knows what he or she is doing relative to the effective treatment of OCD, right? Let's see a therapist. Let's attend therapy regularly. Let's engage the evidence-based process. Let's do our homework, right? Let's work to identify and stop compulsions. These are all really central, important aspects of beginning to change symptom severity. But the second thing that I would say to you beyond the importance of seeing a therapist and engaging that process with consistency and and vigor is, look, if you're continuing to experience symptoms over weeks and months of time and you're not really experiencing your symptoms to reduce in severity... And maybe you'd say, well, I am seeing a therapist and I'm still not seeing my, my symptoms uh, abate in, in severity. If that's you, my friend, in all reality, you are doing compulsions. You might say to yourself and you might say to me, I really don't think I'm doing them. I've had dozens and dozens of patients through the years report exactly that to me. And remember, they're patients, they're in therapy, they're my patients, right? And they'll say, well, I'm not doing any compulsions because that becomes one of the central aspects of our conversation because it's so central to the outcome data. There's so much research over decades and decades of time that says, man, you've got to work to stop the compulsions. If you're doing all this treatment, but you're not stopping compulsions, you're getting nowhere. That's essential. If you're not getting better, you almost certainly are doing compulsions. And so then we'll begin the process of talking through it. And I'll ask some pretty basic questions, right? Nothing super complicated. Just trying to work through what are you doing when you begin to feel anxious these days? What is it that you're doing or not doing? when you're having intrusive thoughts, what's going on for you throughout the day. And we'll begin to just sort of inch by inch, piece by piece, talk through it. And I can't recall a time. I can't recall a single occasion on which a person said, well, I'm not getting better and I'm stopping compulsions. And they call me and they're kind of in, in, you know, anxiety crisis. And it's like, you know, uh, I'm feeling terrible, but I'm doing everything you told me to do. And we'll talk through it, I can't remember, a single occasion, at least not off the top of my head, on which we didn't identify several compulsions that were happening in real time for that individual, right? In some cases, the, the, the individual was doing those very compulsions while we were speaking, right? And, 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 and that's not a, a knock at them, it's not, but again, it's testament to you that often compulsions are so insidious that we don't even see them when we're looking for them, right? And, and that's why I talk about this as a process. That's why I talk about my role as a coach and as a teacher. But our role is to, is to work to sharpen the skills of learning how to find and, and accurately identify compulsions, uh, to to sharpen the experiential skill of knowing what it feels like to stop compulsions in the moment and what the result is both over the following minutes and hours and over the following days and weeks, right? It, it's It's to realize that often thoughts happen, but they're inaccurate predictors of the future. That sometimes, and I might say often, perhaps very often, thoughts are just fucking thoughts, right? They're super distressing in the moment, and many of us will say, but they feel so real. It felt so real and scary. Totally, get it, been there, but, but, thoughts are just thoughts, right? In trauma work, we often say, memories can't hurt you, right? And, and often, it's just like, these thoughts are thoughts, man right? As I often say, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Sometimes thoughts turn out to be accurate predictors of the future. Sure as shit, I had to deal with it. Here it was. You know, but very, very often thoughts are just thoughts. They're trying to suck you back in to that compulsive dynamic. You know what I'm talking about. And so your role is to focus not on managing the anxiety, And that's another piece that for so many people, myself included, is really, really tough. You just gravitate naturally toward managing the anxiety. It's like your hand is over an open flame and you didn't quite realize it and it starts to hurt and you look down and you pull your hand away instinctively. There's something that makes a good sense about that. And correspondingly, we start to feel anxious and we try to sort of instinctively manage that anxiety and we have to work against that instinct we have to to work uh, to to fight against what feels natural because the reality is the more you're working to manage your anxiety and to and to get away from those intrusive thoughts the longer this is going to go on and maybe the worse it's going to be And so, this is where that concept of of accepting uncertainty becomes your friend, right? Because the the more you can genuinely and truly accept that you don't know what the future holds, that, that you don't know what a certain thought or experience means, the more you can get to a place where you can genuinely embrace that you don't know what the future holds, the more in turn, you'll be able to say, I don't know that I really need that compulsion because when I do that compulsion, look, it's still possible that that feared outcome might happen. Because again, I don't know what the future holds. And maybe you'd say, well, I feel a lot better when I do the compulsion. And that's fine. That's understandable. I think we can all say that. But but that also means when you're feeding the beast, it's going to be back tomorrow, maybe later today. We're only teaching the OCD, the more we engage the compulsions, that we need those compulsions to get through the day. And it's not until you begin to kick against and to rebel against the rules of the OCD to to work to identify and to stop the compulsions and to just face head on the intrusive thoughts and the anxiety that they cause. It's not until then, when you face it head on, that you begin to realize actually it got easier. It got better when I didn't feed the beast, maybe not at first, maybe not at first. And for many of you, that's going to be a bridge too far. The, the, The OCD will throw its worst at you at the very beginning, and that'll be too much, and you'll buckle and you'll go back to doing compulsions. But for others of you, you'll fight through that. And you'll say, okay, I, th- I think I can handle this. And and the anxiety will hit you, and it'll hit you like a big wave of water. And it'll push you around and it'll intimidate you. And then it'll hit you with another big wave of water. And it'll carry you into the deep. And it'll be frightening and it'll be scary. But you'll hold your ground. Or if you slip and fall, you'll stand back up and you'll say, No, 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 I'm not going anywhere. And you'll push and you'll stand and it will get easier. And you'll find that one moment of it got easier can be strung together with another moment of it got easier. Meaning to say your anxiety fell over the course of 30 to 35 to 40 minutes of stopping all the compulsions you could identify. Don't fucking cheat yourself. Stop that bullshit. Work hard at this. And when you do that, you'll be able to string together one moment of success with another moment of success, and those moments of success with another, and another, and another, and another, and eventually all these strung together moments of success, and that is to say ritual prevention and anxiety habituation, what you'll begin to find is that the OCD at large is weaker than it used to be. It's not as strong in terms of the frequency of the intrusive thoughts and the intensity of the anxiety that they cause. Your ability to resist the urge to do compulsions, to choke the shit out of those behaviors will strengthen. You will be higher functioning, you will think more clearly, you will feel better, you will be better for having fought those fights and strung together those victories. It takes time. It is a process. But you can do this. You can do this. Well, that's it for another episode of OCD Straight Talk. Feel free to reach out with any questions you might have to chrislines04 at gmail.com. If you found the podcast helpful, consider giving it a five-star rating or subscribing to OCD Straight Talk for structured help with your anxiety or OCD symptoms.